please make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe, or you can always find us on any of the podcast platforms, and that's Fostering Change. Well, you know, it's so hard to believe that we are actually through the month of January. My gosh, you know, I remember when I was finishing up the season at the end of 2023, and we started to make the change of only going to every other Tuesday. Um, not that I didn't have amazing guests, but, you know, I'm tired. And as you all know, um, I travel all over the country um, to make sure that people are educated about children who are in our foster care system. But, you know, um, my next guest, I will have to tell you, I actually stalked him. Um, I stalked him because I really wanted him to be on Fostering Change. And then when I got his book, um, I will tell you, those of you who have seen this podcast, this is our fifth season. When you see me hold up a book and you see that I have all these little yellow slips, you know how much I love that book. Um, and that is exactly what this book did. I absolutely loved it. Um, I was so lucky um, that I actually was traveling and I had the time to really read this book and absorb everything in it, which I want everybody to do. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen, um, let's go ahead and get started. Mark, welcome to Fostering Change. Rob, thank you so much for having me. And I have to tell you, it was a mutual stocking then because I was, I've been following you for years. Uh, well, thank you so much. Mark, I have to tell you, you know, when when I started reading your book, um, it was it was so much that it reminded me of my husband and I, what well, we started the journey, you know, over 15 years ago, and seeing what you and your husband were going through, I just felt like, and, and you know, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate emails on this, and I get them all the time, I felt like nothing had changed, um, nothing had changed, so I want to dive right in. First of all, I want to know, why did you, why did you write this? Uh, I just, you know, Rob, I think it's probably similar to you. It's like, you know, we, we, we go into these situations and your eyes are just opened. I mean, I really had no idea. I mean, what the system was like, what these children and families experience. And as you start living it day in and day out, you know, you're like, what more can I do? You know? And I just felt like I had a story to tell and it was worth sharing. And so really my hope is obviously that it, it captures a larger audience than just you know, those of us in the space, I want families in their day to day life to think about what's going on in the house next door. Are those kids safe? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I love the first of all, I love the fact of the title. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, so many times we think about are those kids safe? You know, I recently had um, friends of mine who um, actually had a child from foster care. They fought and fought and fought for the child and the child ended up going back to the biological parents. And um, the three months later, they found the child dead. And um, and so the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you seemed flat out, are they safe? You know, we yeah. see so much in our country that, you know, and and by the way, I mean, you're impressive with all that you've done, you know, for the number of Congress people you work for, the, the amazing, you know, our Hillary Clinton and all of that. But the thing is, is that I, I think the problem is, is that we're not talking 
about are the kids safe? Instead, what we're doing is we're pushing and pushing reunification. And I'm not saying that reunification is not what we should be doing, but I think that we're we're literally turning a blind eye when on reunification when they're we're not listening to the foster parents, we're not listening to the guardian of items, we're not listening to the CASA workers. What do you feel about that? You know, honestly, I think that was one of the hardest things for me to stomach, you know, I think and I and I say this flat out in the book, I'm like, my husband and I are two, you know, successful men, but we're also white men. And we're used to going into a room and having our voice heard. And, you know, unfortunately, there is a disproportionate number of children of color in the system, whose parents are of color, and they're not getting their voices heard in so many different angles, you know, so many different avenues that that leads to this problem. And I think, you know, for me, it was such an eye-opening experience to be told to like, you know, show up and shut up sort of thing. And for um, these families, they're told it all the time. And it just, it breaks your heart. I mean, that really is so much of why I wanted to write this book too, is not just about the, the foster parents, obviously, it's about the children and the families too. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact in the book, you know, you, you're very much like Reese and I, you and your husband is that, you know, I, I really wanted my children to never be embarrassed of their story. I never, mm -hmm. I wanted them to know, I wanted them, you know, we're very lucky, you know, out of our five kids that, that we've adopted in the system, you know, two of our children, we have a relationship with the birth mother and, you know, you said it, I I'll tell you right now, um, my son and daughter, um, probably should have never ever been taken from their mother. I mean, it was basically because of the neglect, which they considered no, that was no more than poverty, yeah. you know, and we see that yeah. so much when it comes to kids of color. You know, there's something that I actually highlighted in the book um, that really caught my eye. And it says, um, it says, the country allows families to set rate set age ranges like zero to three for the children they are willing to foster, but infants only is an acceptable range. You know, I remember when Reese and I went down to DC Child and Family Services and we said, okay, we want to adopt and we want to foster, and then they and they had the range thing, and I said, but yep. I want a baby. You know, I remember saying, I want a baby. And she looked at me and laughed and said, so does everybody else. We don't allow that. Was that a kind of surprise for you as well? It, it was, you know, I mean, I had been around long enough in doing some like work with different nonprofits in, in the foster care space that I thought I like, you know, had a leg up. Like I could kind of game the system a little bit. You know, I knew the odds. I did my homework. I And when they said zero to three, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like that, that's not what I signed up for. Like, you know, I, I don't get it. You know, um, you know, and, and and we talk up, you know, in the story, we had them, they came to our house. And when the social worker had come to our house, she said, you know, you have a big house, would you consider siblings? And I mean, just to show you my naivety, and you've read this in the book, but I'm like, I said, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, and what I thought was, you know, if mom has another kid three years down the road, can we call you? Like, I thought that's what she was asking, not there would possibly be three children under or, you know, or two children or whatever is under the age of three. It just, it, it blew my mind that that was a possibility. And of course, that's what we ended up with was, you know, boys who were 10 months apart or Irish twins, as we call them where I'm from. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, the, and, and like I said, I just felt like as I was walking through this book, I literally and, and I was saying to my husband as I got off the plane, I called him immediately and I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to bring this book home for you to read. Because I'm telling you, these are our brothers. I was like, because 
it was crazy because we went through the same exact thing. You know, my husband was adamant. If there's a set of siblings, you know, we're 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 game. But you know, we hear these two gay men living in D.C. Um, yeah. And little would I know that within a matter of three months, we would have four kids, um, <laughs> age of four. And all of them in diapers, you know, it was absolutely crazy. And the thing that I, I say to people all the time, I, you know, and again, I, I want everybody to know this book to me is such a resource book. I think that if you are considering even thinking the word of being a foster parent, being a foster parent who you're looking to foster to adopt. And I know I get that hate saying, don't say that. Don't say that. Let me tell you something. It is happening. People are fostering to adopt. And, and if you are, I'm telling you, get you, you got to get this book. It is a resource book. I think it should be given out to every single person who is considering fostering. Um, I, I just, so much information that you gave us in this book. But the thing that I also took away from this, Mark, is that, you know, very similar to what we went through, you did this in, in the LA area, we went through in the DC area. So, you know, but did you find, which is what we found, um, the, the lack of support? And the reason that why our foster parents burn out so much because they're one, they're not educated enough as they need, and there's just no support. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that you just touched upon there. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, thank you for all of these amazingly kind words. That's the I, I really appreciate it. it means the world to me. You know, I went to great lengths to do a ton of research on this. I worked with professors from universities. I talked to social workers. I talked to everyone that would, would have a conversation with me uh, because I really wanted to make sure that I was putting out there the most current information and the most accurate information and so on. Um, it is going to be on some syllabuses at different schools of social work, which I'm really excited about. Right. Um you know, and but as far as you know, the retention of of foster parents. I mean, I think you're spot on. I think what what I felt, and I talk about this in the book too. I was doing some focus groups with different foster parents and people who had fostered and either had were doing it again or were not, and what their issues were with it. And it was really a lot of them just felt taken for granted. You know, I mean, it's you've got caseworkers that have too many cases. They're, you know, making last minute appointments and these workers, these social, these foster parents then have to go and like rearrange their schedule at the drop of a hat to be home, to make sure that this visit can occur or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's just, it's so much on the foster parents and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it impacts the quality of care in some way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think a lot of times is what I, I, I'm noticing throughout the country as I've spent the last 11 years traveling the country and really, you know, trying to educate people is the biggest problem I see is that, you know, we're not looking in the right places for people to become foster parents. And a good example of that is that, you know, I, I say this all the time, you know, we've raised our children as Methodists yeah. we in a very small, what I call a horse town. There's only houses, there's no townhouses or no apartments. My kids go yeah. to schools. And I always say to our minister, you know, when is a social worker ever called and asked to come and speak to us about being foster parents? Right. But they have never. And I've gone to child welfare offices and I've asked yeah. why. And I'm told all the time, well, we don't think people that live on that side of the track really want to be foster parents. And I think that that we're doing such a disservice. Mm -hmm. Disservice is because once again, that myth 
that the child is bad. Um, right. That we don't want to put the energy, we don't want to put the love, we don't want to put the safe home because that's a bad kid. What do you feel about that? Oh, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think part of it is that we just look in the same places, right? We don't extend our resources to different areas, right? We're not looking at um, different communities that might be interested in becoming foster parents. I mean, just look at the LGBT community. We're, we're, you know, more than two times more likely to be fostering than a, than a same sex couple, I mean, than an opposite sex couple, right? There's so many different things that, you know, exploring those communities. But I also think about, you know, the, the children that we had in the book, you know, they actually entered care because they were taken from, detained from their parents and they went into a kinship arrangement with their grandmother, the paternal grandmother, who really had no support around her. She was completely capable of caring for these children. She was a lovely woman, wonderful woman, um, who owned a small business and everything, but she was alone and she didn't have family support. She didn't have a big community of friends. And I just look at that against us who, you know, they arrived one night, the next morning, you know, we probably had, you know, 30 friends show up that day with gifts and just, you know, and that didn't stop the entire time they were with us. And I just think it's like having that community of support around you is so critical. And right now they're going to communities where um, foster parents typically come from. But I think there's a larger audience for this in different areas that we could easily penetrate. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And it's one of the things I always tell anyone who's ever thinking about being a foster parent. I say the very first thing you should do, find your community, find your community, because that is so, so important. Because like very much like you, you know, we immediately, you know, we had, you know, um, my in-laws arrive and then friends arrive. Yeah. You know, and in fact, having four kids, it was just like, I was like, and by the way, I didn't do the diaper thing. So, but they, you know, bless my husband. Oh, um, yeah, didn't do the diaper oh. thing. Bless my husband on that. You I know. don't know how you got away with that. <laughs> and you're still <laughs> my, married. <laughs> my, we, we're getting ready to celebrate 19 years. And my husband says wow. to me all the time, he says, the reason I got let you get away with the no diaper thing is because I didn't want to clean up two messes. He was like, so uh, <laughs> he, he always reminds me of that. You know, the fact is, is that, you know, I, I, but when I'm reading this book, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how unbelievably lucky my kids are and how unbelievably lucky your kids are. But how many kids out there are not finding that forever family that truly is nourishing them? And, and you know, did you worry you and your husband, um, you know, as you know, you gotten your children as they're growing about all the the things that we hear about when it comes to the trauma um, that children in our foster care system are going through? You know, I, I did. And I think honestly, that was part of the reason we went with that. We wanted babies, right? We had it in our head that we could somehow spare them of some sort of trauma, abuse, neglect, whatever it might have been. And, you know, the truth is, that doesn't really exist. And I mean, it's, there's so much stuff that happens from, you know, as soon as in utero even, you know, um, but I, I will say one of the things that we had, and I will credit, I live in Los Angeles in Los Angeles County, you know, this is a city where you, there's a therapist on every corner, which is wonderful. Um, and we've had tremendous access to therapy services and so on. And so I really, you know, I, I'm very grateful to the state of California and the, and the county of Los Angeles for being able to provide that to my children, but also my husband and I too. I mean, you know, we weren't just first time foster parents. We were first time parents. I mean, I didn't even know what a diaper genie was until a friend of mine sent me one in the mail. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it is, I, I mean, you must have gone through this too, but it's like, you know, when you have this, this gestational period and you're expecting a child, like, you know, it's exciting. But the thing is like, you kind of know what to expect or everyone in the world who's had a child is telling you, you know, you're going to need to learn how to swaddle and you're going to need diapers. And this is the size because it's going to be tiny and this and that, and this formula or, or breastfeeding or whatever it is for us, like, and you, I mean, you get a call and a few hours later, there's a bunch of kids at your door. You don't have any of these supplies and none of the clothes fit and none of the, I mean, and it's just, and even if you had them, they wouldn't be put away anywhere. Like where are we going to store the the blankets and the diapers and then, you know, and God forbid you get bottles that don't have matching caps. I mean, that is just <laughs> a, a nightmare at 4am, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, you know, and you are right about that. You know, you write about that in your book and I love that with the opening line where you write about how you've never experienced the morning sickness and all of the things that mothers go through, you know, as they're preparing to have that child. And all of a sudden, okay. you know, I mean, I know for us, it was, we got a phone call um, and the phone, we got a phone call and they said, it's, you know, in two hours, we're coming to your home with two children. And we're just like, Okay, this is like, okay, this is really happening. Um, you know, did you do you feel I mean, the fact is, is you do live in LA. I mean, it is a very diverse. It's very, you know, compared just like when DC where my husband and I lived. Um, but what we found out 15 years ago, when we went to go foster, um, the fact that we we were white, um, and that we were a same sex couple, um, we felt more discriminated against than if it was a single person, or um, we had to go through a lot of hoops because of the fact that we were gay. Did you and your husband feel the, any of that pressure whatsoever? You know, I have to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think we felt that. And I, I think, you know, when you said it hasn't changed, I'm hoping that um, that is one of the changes that maybe has existed because we really didn't feel that. Now, I also recognize that Los Angeles is not a microcosm of the U.S., but then again, neither is Washington, D.C., right? And so, um, but it was, they were very welcoming. In fact, we had gone through an incredible nonprofit called Raise a Child, which helps families, you know, find the right agency to work with and so on. I know you've probably had Rich on. and you Yeah, know, Rich has been my friend for years. I've had him on our podcast. Yeah, he's a great He's a guy. hero. He's a hero and a friend. And anyway, but there's a, um, they had connected us with a couple different foster family agencies and it was funny it was i mean they all came to our house i mean they were like rolling out the red carpet for us and now you know fast forward several years later i do so much nonprofit work and advocacy work in the foster care space anytime i talk about our story if there's a social worker in the room who's in you know who does the trainings and the recruitment they always come over to me and they say you know whenever there's a same-sex couple that comes in i always run to them because i know it's a really deliberate decision to be here. Like you both have to be on board, you know, you can't get pregnant. So, you know, and, and you know, in our case and, and many other cases, like surrogacy was an option for us. We could have afforded to do that. We just chose not to, you know, we both have histories with foster care in our family and it was important to us, you know? Yeah. And, th and that was like for Reese and I, you know, we, we had no issue whatsoever, you know, if we to be surrogate, but it was, you know, for yeah. me as a kid who grew up in the system, I just wanted to give a kid a break. Little did I know I would be giving five children. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, little would I know that it would be five kids. And, you know, from for Reese and I just to have adopted our fifth child and he came in at, when he wow. was 18, is, um, it's crazy. You know, Mark, as, as we finish up this, 
you know, if, if there was one thing that you could, you know, say for uh, a new foster parent, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what would that, what would that be? Uh, I, I think read your book. Yeah, that that's a great one, you know, but I, <laughs> so thank you for that. You know, but I, I think honestly, it's, it is, you know, for people considering it, it's like really go in with your eyes open, do your homework, you know, I mean, there are many things you can do to help that don't involve fostering. I don't think everyone should foster. We need a lot more people. So if it's right for you, please do it. But I think it's, you know, really don't rush to judgment on the families, like go in with a lot of empathy in your heart, recognize that, you know, your life has probably been a whole lot easier than, than the families that are involved in the system and, you know, do your best to be empathetic to them. And, you know, the social workers could use some empathy too, because I guarantee there are more caseloads, but also be that squeaky wheel, you know, with, I mean, this is a child's life at stake and your job is to keep them safe and make them feel nurtured and loved and give them everything they need during your, the, honestly, the most challenging time of their life. So do that, you know, and speak up when they need it because yeah. they need it. I agree. And I've always said this, you know, you know, as foster parents, we are their voice. And, mm -hmm. you know, my husband and I never missed a court hearing. Um, we never allowed a social worker to take our children to the doctor um, because yeah. no matter whether they were on the reunification goal or their adoption goal had been changed, yeah. while they were living in our home, they were our children. And the, yeah. the biggest thing that, you know, that I think that we make the biggest mistake within our system is that we immediately think that the birth parents are bad. We immediately yeah. um, isolate, um, you know, everyone. And I think the first thing that we should do when a child enters foster care is that every single person should come to the table. I believe that the birth yes. parent should come to the table. I believe the foster parent should come to the table. I believe the guardian of litems, the casas, the social, yes. and they all need to come to the table and they need to sit there and they need to look at those parents and they need to say, what can we do to get yeah. your baby home? What can we do? And by the way, I understand yeah have a percentage of kids you know I have two kids who came in with severe abuse and there was no mm -hmm. way that any judge was ever going to allow these kids right. to there but there are more children that come in because mom had to leave her three-year-old with her 12-year-old to go yeah. to work so she could pay for the electricity these are things these are right see them all over our country and I think that if we came together as a united group and look yes. at parents and say, listen, you know, what can we do? I mean, Mark, I mean, we all know that is why communities were built. Communities Absolutely. Built for us to take care of each other. And we have yeah. sat along the way. So, I mean, I tell you right now, this book is definitely, it's going on my, you, everybody knows I have a special shelf in the back here. It's going on my special shelf. Um, you know what, everybody, the great thing about it is the book actually is released today. That's exactly right. You're going to be able to click right here. You're going to be able to go and buy the book. But let me do let me tell you something. As someone who has written a book and I've written several books at this point, the best thing that you could ever do for Mark, the best thing you could ever do for Simon and Schuster, the best thing you could ever do for anyone is to leave a review. Leave a yes. review. Not every one of you are going to like it. And by the way, I've had some of those reviews that kind of cut me a little bit. Um, but, but we want you to leave the review because leaving the review is truly what's helped moves this book forward. The more reviews, Absolutely. 
the farther the book moves. And that's important to me because this is definitely a book that truly needs to be moved and it needs to be moved as quickly as possible. Mark, listen, I am so lucky I get to call you my friend. I can't wait to see you very soon. I'm going yes. to get to break bread with you. But everybody, listen. This is just another amazing episode of Fostering Change. You know, I say it all the time. It's my last season. But I can tell you when I have guests like Mark on, when I read amazing books like this, I realize why I do what I do. And what I want you all to do is if you're even thinking about fostering or maybe you know that person who's been talking to you about it, get this book. Get this book really read this book. I'm telling you, it's going to be a book that you probably will read it within less than two days, like I did, um, because it, it is such an amazing book. Mark, um, I wish you and the family all the best in the world. And I can't wait to have you back on Fostering Change. And everyone, keep doing what you're de doing. Be good humans. Take care, everyone. Thank you so Bye. much, Rob. I so appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome, buddy.